telling you things like this that are coming up, trips to Israel as much as I can, because I, I want every one of you, if you possibly can afford to do something like that, to take a trip to Israel. It changes you. You, you see things that you see the Bible differently. You see a lot of stuff. It's just, it's really engaging. It's powerful. Uh, at least for Lynn and I, there were just spiritual moments along the way we didn't expect. You know, just for a moment when you're realizing this is where Jesus stood and, and, um, and, and actually on that ground. And so, so grab a flyer if you're interested in that. Um, so in continuing with uh, the, this, this stuff I've been speaking about the last few weeks, having to do with with our, our country, where we are as a country, this, I, it is getting, it is getting um, it's more and more challenging in society today to, uh, to be a Christian, okay? Uh, you're getting persecuted in ways you never thought before just for being a Christian. And uh, it's, it's I, I've, actually, I've actually had people say things, I didn't expect this, like this, but say things directly about me from the floor of the house because I'm a Christian, and tell me this is this is not where you talk about Jesus. They said that to me, uh, not to me directly, but to the floor. And I said to them in my heart, "You're not the boss of me." <laughs> and so, but it's becoming more difficult. It really is. We're seeing a lot of things change in our society and transition. So this whole series that I'm doing is not just the the, the vision of where we're trying to go as a church, like in in um, in uh, specific detailed stuff. But this is. This is who we need to be to go where we need to go. And that's, to me, that's, it's always been more important, but it's becoming more and more important. We don't have the luxury as the church of continuing to play around like we have been for, for the last 50 years. We're going to have to really buckle down and say, okay, God, I need this. And so the stuff that I'm talking about, and I'm going to put some other things in here, but most of this is the foundations of who we have to be as Christians. There are certain things that, that, are, that they're just, we haven't really made them our priority as the body of Christ, uh, and, and the church specifically in America is struggling for this. And we've got, to, we've got to make this, we've got to hone in on these kind of things. And so the subject I'm coming to this morning is holiness. And uh, what, is, what does holiness look like and what does that mean? That's, that's a subject that's not uh, very popular in today's Christian, American Christian world. It's just not. We don't talk about um, sin and we don't talk about staying away from sin and and usually what we do is we try to water it down. You know, we, we, the, as long as we're trying hard, the Lord knows our heart, things like that. Or, or this is the way I've been hearing this for, for 20 plus years, is that sin is missing the mark, right? That that's a definition of sin. In the Greek, it means missing the mark. And, uh, and so then we take that in me and say, it's not that really that big of a deal. It's just you missed the mark. You were still heading the right direction. That's, that's a lie. Okay, that's a lie that Satan tries to weave in there. You were, you were basically heading the right direction. You just kind of missed the middle. That's not what, sin is heading the other direction. Sin is, sin is not even looking at, at the target. You're, you're going the other direction. And so how these kind of things get played with the church and get played and manipulated by, by language and stuff like this, for, for us to truly be people of faith, and people of witness and people of purpose. We have got to, to, to hone in on the things that are, that are foundational to that. We can't just assume it's all going to be okay. We can't just assume if we go to church and hear enough of the Bible that it's all going to work out. Because that's, that's the lie Satan tries to tell us. He tries to convince us that 
you, you don't have to try that hard. You don't have to be that committed. You don't have to be that devoted. It'll all work out. Well, that's not actually Christian theology. That's universalism. And that's dangerous for us. I saw a statistic this week. And the question was, um, do you agree or disagree that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation? Even the smallest sin. Now, that's a tricky question. I like the way they ask the question. Because if they made it too broad, um, you know, they say something like, is sin wrong? Everybody's going to say, well, yeah, I guess. But, but he narrows it down here. That even the smallest sin de- deserves eternal damnation. Now, there's a lot of people, and I would say a lot of the church, in fact, I do have a statistic of how they answered this question. This was asked to the church, by the way. This wasn't just society. It was at, this was asked to the church. And uh, the, the category of disagree or strongly disagree, 69% of Christians strongly disagreed or disagreed with that statement. Now, you're saying, well, how do I think about this? What do, where am I on this? And you're asking yourself that question. Even the smallest sin. Well, here's, here's some basic things you have to, to address what do you define as the smallest sin? What does that mean? What does that mean to you? Because it probably means different things to different people. The smallest sin. Is that, is that bad? Is it not bad? Or how do we judge that? And then you've got, so if you've got over here the smallest sin, and all this is in the sin category. Okay? And here's, a, here's something I think is important to note. We say these things a lot in, in the church world, and these are not necessarily bad things to say, but they're a little deceptive. Is when we say, um, well, to, to God, all sin is the same. That's, there is some credibility to that statement because once you get into the category of sin, it's sin, right? But, but Scripture is actually pretty clear that there are different levels of how God looks at sin, that some sins are much more egregious to God than other sins. That's, that's scriptural. That's not just Dante. That's scriptural. And speaking of Dante, there is also different layers of hell that are scripturally mentioned. There's actually different places in hell. Okay? Now, with that, let's take the category of all sin because I do believe that that once you get into the category of sin, it's sin and it has the same, um, it has the same eternal direction as any other sin. In other words, the tiniest sin, however you might define that, is the same as the greatest sin when it comes to where you're going to spend eternity. Now, with that being said, you've got to define somewhere along here, where does that apply? The, the tiniest sin, how do you even, how do you, how do you define that? Um, so I, I grew up in very, um, very strong, legalistic, Pentecostal church in Texas. Everything was a sin. It took me a long time to realize that some of the things they were saying sin in church wasn't actually mentioned in the Bible as sin. Okay? Example, roller skating. Now, some of you are like, ha, ha. No, that used to be a sin in the Pentecostal church. You say, really? Yes. Going to, going to football games, high school football games was a sin. Okay? Um, now, this is one where my pastor explained to me. This one got confusing to me. Back in the day, wearing a tie was a sin. And then, by the time I came along in ministry, not wearing a tie was a sin. Right? 
I didn't know which way to go with that because my grandma was like, you're wearing a tie? <laughs> they, they make me. Jesus makes me now. He changed his mind. So <clears throat> things have changed since you were around, Grandma. But, but here's the reality of this. So you got to be careful. Which, how do you classify sin? Because Scripture does tell us what sin is. Okay, it does. But then once you get into that category, where do you rate this? If the tiniest sin is over here and the Holocaust is over here, Hitler, the Holocaust, where in there, if you say, well, the smallest sin, because 69% said they disagree with that. Church people. So where on the scale from smallest sin does eternity come into play? I'm saying from your perspective, not these 69 people, because I can't ask, 69%, I can't ask them. But where in there does sin relating to our eternal direction come into play? Now, hopefully, every one of us in here believes that sin does separate us from God and that it does end up in hell. But, and that hell's real. I mean, I've talked about that so much. So, But where do you define this? Because here's what I found over the years in talking with a lot of different people. Is wherever, wherever that scale goes, usually people put the demarcation line for this is where sin becomes a heaven or hell issue. Usually they put that right on the other side of where they are. Right? Well, it's all those people. Instead of what the Bible says is that all sin is destructive to us. And all sin is not just missing the mark according to the way we redefine that context, but that we're not even aiming toward Jesus Christ when we're sinning. And so I want to I unpack this for us. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. Now there becomes some, some confusion sometimes with these kind of things because we don't, we're not paying attention to how the book of Revelation works. See, Revelation 7 talks about that the dragon and a third of the, the angels or the followers of the dra dragon were cast down to earth. Then it goes right in the same little six or eight verses. It goes into the next timeline and into the next timeline. It skips three different major timelines. It puts us all the way into after right now. Okay? And I've had people describe this, that Revelation 7, those angels being cast down to the earth, that that was not that that doesn't happen until you get to that time frame of the tribulation in Revelation 7. That's not, that's not accurate. Revelation does this when it goes to time. It circles as it's moving forward in progression of time. And so when you get to the end of Revelation, yes, you are at the end of time. But there's, there's all these cycles going through that are telling us about stuff happening past present, and in the future constantly. This war in heaven is not the same war in heaven in Revelation 7. It's not even close. The, the first part of Revelation 7, when the third of the angels were cast down with the dragon, that happened before Adam and Eve. How do we know that? Because Satan was already on the earth and interacting with Adam and Eve. He had already been cast out. And we see this in the book of Job. And by the way, not timeline as in linear timeline in Scripture, but timeline is the oldest of what we have recorded by somebody. Job is the oldest book we have in the Bible. It's not Genesis. Okay, Job, what we have of Job was written before, not before the account of Genesis, but before Genesis was written. Okay, 
That's a weird way for me to say that, but study that, okay? Job talks about Satan coming into um, the court of of the Lord, and and God says, what are you doing here? He says, you're hanging out. And so he says, well, have you noticed uh, Job? And, And Satan's like, yeah, I've noticed Job. The only reason he's serving you is because all this stuff is doing really good. You've been taking care of him. We're going to get back to that in a second. But Satan was messing with us since since Adam and Eve. He was cast down. This is a different war that's happening, and this is later. This part of the war has not happened yet. Let me show you this. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon... The ancient serpent called the devil. We talked about this some Wednesday night. In, in this series I'm doing right now, I'm talking about it before, on the Wednesday night before each week. I don't normally do that, but we're processing stuff. The angel serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Satan is still deceiving the earth, so this has not happened yet. Okay? Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. This is what the loud voice said. It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. It's the finalization. Now the kingdom of God is at hand. Not among us like it is now, but it is now finalized and established. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's you and I, has been forced, has been thrown down to the earth. That hasn't happened yet. Satan is still accusing you and I. This battle is not the same as Revelation 7. This battle is going to happen. Okay? The one who accuses them before our God day and night. So this is is what's going on. Satan is going before God, and this is exactly what happened in Job. Goes before God and says, Hey, God, have you been paying attention to so-and-so? Because they're not doing so good. The way he said it with Job, he didn't have much to work on with Job. He just said, well, the only reason he's doing so good, God, is because you take care of him so much. You protect him so much. And God said, not true. I'll show you. Now, if you're Job, you're like, no, don't show him, right? We could skip, we could skip this whole part. But this is actually important for us. I, I, I've looked at Job in a little bit different way than a lot of people over the years. I think that if God can trust me enough to go through the difficult stuff, then maybe it's worth it. And I don't even know how to define that, and I do not want that to happen under any circumstance to me or to any of you. But, but man, listen to the way God brags on Job. Wouldn't you like that? When you, and the, the answer is yes. Um, I want God to brag on me. I don't want to go through this stuff. But think about the depth of this, that God is... God is still in charge even through all that stuff. But guess what? Satan was still accusing. He's still accusing you. Right now, Satan is saying mean things about you to God. Which, by the way, is where the, the um, fruit or the, 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 the roots of uh, gossip come from. The difference is, is Satan gossips to God about us. And we gossip to each other about us. That's, that's the only difference. It's still demonic, still from Satan. doesn't have any value or truth or, or legitimacy to it. 
But we see that. Satan is accusing you, accusing me right now to God, right now as we speak, as I speak. Um, Satan is accusing us. Because why? He hates us. He hates the fact that we look like God. He hates it. The fact that we do things for God. He hates it. And this is how it ends up. Verse 11, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. And they, that's you and I, have defeated him, the accuser. You and I have defeated the accuser by three things. The blood of the lamb, getting saved. Getting saved and covered with the blood of Jesus Christ is the biggest attack you can ever do against Satan. You, you punch him right in the face when you do that. You hurt him deeply because he was owning you. You were part of his kingdom, and you left his kingdom and said, I don't agree with you. I'm going after Jesus. Man, that, that, that drives him crazy. And another way that we've defeated Satan is by our testimony, by verbalizing this amazing gospel. Satan hates it when you talk about Jesus. Satan hates it when you witness and even living that your life looks more like Jesus. And trying to do that every single day, Satan hates that. He can't stand it when somebody sells out to Jesus. Because you're just punching him and punching him. And you're saying to not just Satan, but to the world, that, that Satan's plan is not worth it. It's not good. It's not valuable. It doesn't have any benefit or bearing that would be positive to us. And so you're rejecting Satan's plan. And he hates it when you do that in front of other people. So by telling people about Jesus, your testimony is, is, is part of this conversation. And then the third is that they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. That you love God more than you love your life. That's how simple that is. That you love God more than you love your life or anything that your life or that Satan in your life can offer you. So let's go down at John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus told them, if God were your father, he's talking to the church, he's talking to church leadership right here. If God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I love the way that he says this because I, I, all my 30 plus years of ministry, I've always had people saying that, you know, that Jesus never, a bunch of things. Jesus never used sarcasm. He never picked on people. Jesus didn't use humor. I've had a lot of people over the years tell me, I can't go to your church because you use humor. You shouldn't be joking behind the pulpit. Who do you think Jesus was? We can paint him into something I don't think is anything close to who he is. But he did all these things. He was very, very up in people's face sometimes. And he said, Jesus says to them, I am not here on my own, but he sent me. This is God. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? That's not a nice statement to say to people. If you're walking around going, oh. He says, it's because you can't even hear me. And then he ramps it up. For you are the children of your father, the devil. That's about as strong as you can say. Think about going into your workplace this next week. And you have your little 10-minute um, huddle in the morning and your managers or bosses are there. Or you're the boss or whatever. And you say to everybody, hey, um, you are the children of your father, the devil. Good morning. I mean, Jesus was pretty strong about this. But he's really trying to get this across to us. To them, obviously, and to us. And he says, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. And oh, by the way, 
when you and I lie, it's also consistent with Satan's character. It's not consistent with God's character. God doesn't lie. When we lie, we are, we are siding with the opportunity Satan has given us to be on his team. It's consistent with his character, not God's character. And For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, here's kind of the, here's kind of the more of the action part of this. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Because somewhere along the line, you've got to make a decision. Am I going to sin? Am I not going to sin? You do that on an individual basis, right? You make big decisions, like when I'm speaking here, and we, make, we pray together, and we say, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to say no to sin. But, but then it comes down to individual daily decisions. That's when, it's, that's when the decision is important. It is important to establish it in places like this or in your prayer time at home. I, I will not be a part of sin. But you're going to have to make that decision based upon moments. Are you part of... Are you part of that sin moment? Are you part of God moment? So Galatians chapter 5, he says in verse 16, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Now, I've talked about this, over the, well, I've talked about it a lot, but the last few weeks I've mentioned this. You've got your flesh, that's the part, you see my flesh, I see your flesh. That's the part we see. The part that's looking at me right now is your soul. I can't see your soul I can only see the, uh, the tent that you're living in, okay? Um, I see the tent, but the person looking at me is the soul. And then there's the part of us called the spirit is how we interact with God. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. God speaks to us. The word um, it, it dwells there in our existence as we listen to the spirit. So you are in between your flesh and the spirit, and you're the one deciding what you're going to listen to. Do you listen to this body? Or you, and the body represents more than just the physicalness of our, of our existence. It represents all the input from that. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 6. This is the whole point of Romans 6. Okay? Do you listen to the spirit or do you listen to the flesh? Because you, the soul, is making the decision on what you're going to listen to. Right? So he says, then you won't be doing what you're... So let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature flesh craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. Flesh wants to do evil. Spirit wants to do good. God speaking through the spirit, Satan speaking through the flesh, right? And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. The Holy Spirit wants us to do good things. Holy Spirit wants us to listen to God, act biblically, say the right things, take stands when we need to, um, be verbal when we need to, pray when we need to. All the, the Holy Spirit speaking to that stuff to us. We've got to make the decision. The flesh is, is speaking all the other stuff. Okay, The two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The, the, the flesh is trying to keep you from doing the right thing or the good intentions. Now look at this next sentence. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you would assume the sentence would say, then you can do your good intentions. But it doesn't. It says, you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. That seems like an out-of-left-field kind of thing. But, it, but it's not because they were living more than um, some kind of political law or, or governmental, Roman governmental law, they were actually, the Jewish people were actually living by the law of Moses, which was a higher expectation, by the way, than Roman law. 
But he says here, when you are actually listening to the Holy Spirit, the law is way down here. You're not, you're not trying to figure out if you're going to obey the law every day. You're seeking the Lord, which is a much higher direction. You are listening to the Spirit. You are following the Spirit. The law is down here. That's why most of you probably don't wake up in the morning and say, am I going to rob a bank today? That's not where your mindset is. That's the law, and it's down here. You are pursuing Jesus. You're pursuing the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? You're not accountable. It's the same thing. I've used this in, in marriage many times. I don't wake up every day and say, okay, Lord, just please help me. God, I'm, I'm so weak. I need your help to not cheat on my wife today. That's down here. Now, yeah, that, Satan will send those barbs up to try to catch you in a moment and say, yeah, but, and he'll, and he'll look at certain weaknesses. When your attitude's wrong, when you're really tired, when you've just been in a fight with your spouse, you compound three or four of those things, and all of a sudden, Satan will send this barb and say, not a person named Barb, although he could, <laughs> but he'll send this barbed arrow into our existence and try to pull us down into the basic idea of adultery because that's if you're really serving the Lord that stuff's down here that's the law of Moses you're you're in a higher place than that you're trying to serve him please him and love him okay when you follow the desires of your sinful nature the results are very clear and this is what I call the fruits of the sinful nature right this is what the whole scripture is talking about sinful nature and spirit in in verse 22 we're going to see the fruits of the spirit but this is the first part and he doesn't actually say this, but this is the fruits of the sinful nature, right? So these are them. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility. You know, I said that one time, and I was a youth pastor years ago, and I said sorcery. <clears throat> one of the teenagers said, none of us are practicing witchcraft. We're not in sorcery. But there's a scriptural problem with thinking like that. The scripture says rebellion is sorcery. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, he didn't say much after that. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And then he says, because we've gotten away from this in American Christianity, the idea of heaven, there are major parts of of American Christianity don't even believe there is a hell. And there are other uh, parts of it that believe that it is um, rehabilitative. You can get out someday. Right? Instead of what it is, which is punitive. Right? You've made a decision, you're going to be held accountable for it. But he says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Fleshly nature, human nature, human desires, they produce the fruits we just said. Holy Spirit produces these kind of fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. The law is down here. These are up here. 
When you're walking in the Holy Spirit, they're up here. You're in a different arena that's trying to figure out whether you're going to attack somebody. You're in a different arena. Okay? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And that's what verse 11 in, in Revelation 12 is talking about, that you love God more than you love even being alive or your physical life, that you love God better than anything, more than anything Satan can offer you. You've crucified yourself. You've nailed the, the sinful nature to the cross. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited, or provoke one another, or be jealousy to, to, or be jealous of one another. You know that little sentence right there covers about ninety nine percent of all humanity. You think about this. Let us not be conceited. This this is a big one for me. I, I just want I'm probably the least conceited person that you'll ever know. Or provoke one another. I just provoked you all. Or be jealous of you. I'm not jealous of any of you. So. So here's where it comes down to, guys. And this is where I want to kind of put the focus on. This is maybe a different way of looking at this. But, but when Satan is really trying to mess with you or attack you or whatever, I believe your biggest offense against Satan is to say no to whatever he's tempting you with. You say, well, yeah, that's because you shouldn't sin. No, I'm saying it in a different way. Satan comes up to you and he offers you something. When you say no to him, you as a light shines brighter. We talked about this Wednesday night, that the darkness is always creeping in. Satan is always accusing you. He's always attacking. He's always creeping in. He's always trying, not just you, but it's everything around you. Satan is trying to control us as people. He's trying to control us as humanity. He's trying to control us as a country. When you say no to sin, you punch Satan in the eye. When you say yes to the blood of Jesus Christ, you are attacking the kingdom of hell. This is, this is direct offense against Satan. When you see sin, stand up against it. You are being a, a warrior in that kind of moment. You're not just passively saying, Lord, I'm serving you. You are actually pushing out to the front lines and saying, I belong to Jesus and I am a light. And I stand against this sin. I stand against this sin. Satan tries to tempt you. You say no. Why? Because your light shines brighter at that moment. The same concept, guys. This is more probably particular to the, to the men. But on your computer, you're, you're working on your computer, your phone or whatever, and all of a sudden this little thing pops up and, and, and uh, this beautiful woman says to you, hey, I would like to get to know you more. Guys, almost every one of us in here, look in the mirror. She doesn't want to get to know you anymore. Okay? I had a guy tell me about five or six years ago. He said, do you really think young, hot women are looking at you at 45 and saying, ooh, that's what I want? I'm like, yes. So, so here's the thing. That's a clickbait. That's a satanic clickbait. Satan wants you to click on that because why? Just seeing that, all of a sudden your sinful desires start speaking. Right? Guys, women, women are the same, but in different ways. But all of a sudden, your, your desires start thinking, and, and your brain starts releasing chemicals, and all this stuff starts happening. And you're thinking, I would like to know what she looks like, but not like that. Right? 
your evil, the, the sinful nature starts speaking. When you say no, and you say, Jesus, I'm following you, that, that darkness was creeping in, that accusing was happening between Satan and, and God to try to, to say, look at what they're doing right now, and that darkness is closing in. When you say no to sin, you force that darkness back away, and you are a light. And you stand strong in that light. And that light gets brighter and, and the, the, the radiance of it gets, gets larger. Just by saying, Satan, you are not in charge of me. I will not listen to my, 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 my sinful desires. I will not listen to my flesh. Guys, this is what fasting does. Fasting says my, I'm reprioritizing away from my flesh to the Holy Spirit. I'm getting my priorities in, in, in line with the Holy Spirit wants to speak to me and guide me. Listening to the Holy Spirit, it doesn't always mean that it's easy. Sometimes it's not just a, a single moment. No, Satan, it's more of a fight. You've got to fight it out. When you do that, you are destroying the kingdom of God. You are tearing down Satan's authority and his power. And you say, well, I'm just one person. What does it matter? I'm telling you, you can tear down the powers of Satan in ways you never knew possible. I, some of you are giving me a lot of credit for for standing in the well of the house and, and saying things and standing for Jesus and doing this stuff. And yes, I believe that it is, it is forcing that darkness back. I, guys, I can, I can spiritually feel it when I'm standing there in ways in very few other contexts have I felt. But you do the same thing when you go to work. You do the same thing when you go to school. I'm telling you that these guys in school, when they, are, when they stand for Jesus in a public high school that darkness is probably a stronger or worse there than it is in the house. And when they stand for Jesus, it forces that darkness backwards. And every place you go, stand for Jesus. Stand for Jesus and say no to whatever Satan is offering you. Even if it's just an attitude or a thought or something, say no to what Satan is offering you. I want us to, I want us to finish this this morning by taking communion together. And... Um, and, and, and here's, here's part of the reason you may not process. If you really think about taking communion, it really is Romans 12, um, verse 11. That I'm covered with the blood of the Lamb. I testify of that. Jesus said, every time you do this, you declare that I'm coming. You testify about this. And then the third is, I love God more than anything else offered to me, including my own physical life. I, I love God more. Anybody need one of the elements, things? Stephen up here. Um, I think right here also. Oh, you got them? Okay. Everybody good? Anybody else need one? Over here. Some of your parents are saying, guys, why didn't you get it before service? There were more adults that didn't have it than the teenagers. I'm going to read this all together. Normally I break it up and read it and then we take it as we go. But I'm going to read this all together. And then we're going to, we're going to take this together. But, but to think about this, the blood of the Lamb, the word of my testimony, and loving God more than anything else Satan can offer. Guys, that's how our light shines. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces. And he said, this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. 
an agreement confirmed with my blood. He, he put his blood as the, as the collateral there. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Here's the word of the testimony. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord, we ask you to, to bless us this morning with you. God, the revelation of what this communion means to us. That this is this your body. You gave your very physical body, Lord. And you gave it as, as an offering, as a sacrifice to be torn up, brutalized, so that we could be whole. Your body's torn, our body's put back together. God, we thank you for this. Lord, help us not to take it for granted. And God, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for forgiving us, washing us, covering us, and making us right with God. We're so humbled by all of this. Lord, we know we don't deserve it, but you did it anyway. God, we deserve, we deserve punishment for the way we act and think and are many times. But Lord, you gave us grace and mercy. You gave us your blood. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us not to take it for granted. Please, Lord, help us not to take it for granted. Get into our spirit and our mind right now. Let's take the drink together. Jesus, I declare I am forgiven. My testimony is I am forgiven. I'm covered with your blood, Jesus. And I'm forgiven. Thank you so much. That every single person in this room, Lord, that, is, that has asked you to be in charge of their life, they're forgiven. They're forgiven. Thank you. So, Lord, help us to walk in light, covered with your blood, walk in forgiveness, and push back the powers of hell, push back evil and darkness, push it back by living for you. Destroy the kingdom of God. Destroy the kingdom of hell by living in the kingdom of God. God, we thank you for this. That's our desire. In the name of Jesus, we pray. So I'm going to be praying for us this week, and not, not that you would be tempted, so you could say no, but it's the other way around. We're tempted all the time. That's not, that's not the, the point. The, what I'm praying for is that it, you'll, it will be illuminated to you in ways maybe is more casual, that you'll see it. It'll be brighter, and you'll see, oh, this is Satan trying to, this is my flesh. Satan's trying to speak to my flesh. I'm going to make the decision, and I say no to Satan that you see it. You see it really nice and clear. And it's just a good confidence builder for you. I'm going to say no to Satan. I'm going to say yes 
to the kingdom of heaven, right? Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus is their king and redeemer also. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus. And God will honor that in your life. So shake somebody's hand. Get to know Mark and Ruth before they take off. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Don't forget, youth is canceled. Tell your friends.